Midwifery for the People is a podcast about reimagining the way we approach the entirety of the birthing year. Margot's goal is to combine her radical imagination with her knack for strategizing to bolster the birth revolution and a larger global revolution of feminine consciousness. Midwifery for the People is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Now here's your host, Michael Blackstone. Hey everybody and welcome to this episode which I am calling Borderline Witchcraft, which is a direct quote that comes from an email I got recently and I'm going to tell you all about it. I might even read some parts of it to you. This is a little bit different format than usual. I usually like to have my episodes planned out or have it be interview style or a coaching session that I record, but this is going to be just a loose chat about spirituality and birth and our work here at Indie Birth and a little bit of my personal background with spirituality, what that's looked like for me throughout my life how it's developed and changed, what it looks like now, and how I see it being a part of my work in birth and here at Indie Birth. Yeah, let's just start again with the inspiration for this podcast, which is this email I got in response to one of the emails I sent out, which was about our school And we had this big year-end deal we were offering on the Indie Birth Midwifery School. And I told people that if they didn't take advantage of this deal now, it was the last time they were going to be seeing the school at this price from us. And that is true. We were ready to cleanse the list, start fresh for the new year. And... This is an amazing offer. And so if somebody has been on our list for three years and hasn't taken advantage of one of the sales we've done or bought it at full price, chances are they're probably not going to. Or maybe they will in the future and they can get back on the list through some of the other channels we have. So just energetically, which I'm sure we'll talk more about what that means to me, but energetically, it felt like we needed a fresh start. And so I told the people on this list, hey, this is your last chance. And you're going to be deleted off of this list, this specific midwifery school newsletter list that we have. And so I got this response back that just blew my mind and was really fascinating. And I wrote a whole email about it. I emailed her back and I also sent our whole list, her email and my response, which some people thought was really not cool of me. And perhaps um, unprofessional, which is funny because I actually hate the word professional and would like to be seen as unprofessional. And so I sent out this email and got like such a huge response, mostly really positive. People thought it was super helpful and useful to see some of the, the beliefs that this woman had laid out in the way that I laid them out in my response and in my commentary. And other people were horrified and offended. So those are my favorite kind of emails to write because at the end of the day, we're not a vanilla birth organization. We are not mainstream. We are not trying to cater to the widest audience. 
because we know that our work is not for that huge, super wide net of people. We are niche. We are doing something really specific. We would love more people to to fall under the umbrella of what we're interested in creating. But the reality right now is that it is a pretty small subset of people who are on board with all the different pillars of what we stand for here at Indie Birth, from autonomy to this spiritual approach to birth. This email has a couple different components, and I'm not going to, maybe I'll separately talk about the mentality and the mindset and the negativity and victim piece, maybe in something else. I think that was really an interest, you know, that's an interesting thing that could stand alone. But what I want to say, what I'll read right now, is this piece where she's telling me all the reasons that she doesn't want to do our school, which is fine. We love feedback. It's super helpful. This email was helpful, even though this woman's not the right fit for our program. It's communicating to me that we have some work to do around being even more clear and bold in our approach so that someone like this sees our stuff and just bounces off to go find what is right for them. It's not about, oh, we don't want them in our crew. It's more they don't, they're already saying that they don't fit in our crew. So I would want them to stop wasting their time and energy and, and go find the people that they do resonate with. So anyways, she's outlining all these reasons she doesn't want to do our school and doesn't think she can become a midwife. And her second one is this. I'll just read it word for word. Two, your focus on metaphysical beliefs. No, thank you. I'm a Christian and will not be unequally yoked with such things. It's borderline witchcraft. And while that may be okay for some, it simply excludes you and your school as an option. And so I didn't totally tackle that in the body of the email that I sent her back. But in the the PS of the email I sent to our big list, I said, for the record, I am not borderline into witchcraft. I am 100% fully into earth-based spirituality, elemental magic, and shamanic practices. And this is something that is true. It is something that I have not hidden. I've also not amplified it a ton. And I don't honestly know why, other than sometimes I forget that these things might be interesting to people. And so here we are recording a podcast about all of the things. There's also an article that I wrote. Let's see, when did I publish it? It was in January of 2021. So a little while ago when this had come up another place, because we do get this question somewhat frequently, somewhat frequently around what are you? <laughs> what, how do you identify? And so I just wanted to read this also, because again, this was two years ago, three, almost three years ago that I wrote this. And I'll, I'll read it to you. We are a radical, heart-centered group of women who follow our own souls and intuition in all matters. We utilize the scientific as well as the sacred in our teachings. Marin and Margot each have their own spiritual paths, although there is much overlap. And yes, we utilize many eclectic resources and perspectives to inform and enhance our teachings when we feel they have benefited our own lives and our own midwifery practices. For full transparency, we do believe in all of these things and more. The power of energy and intention meditation, manifestation, myths, ritual, connecting with nature, the elements, crystals, and animals, 
reading sacred texts, journaling, dream work, chakras, auras, vibrations, mantras, somatic healing, tarot cards, shamanic journeying, ETs, other dimensions, clairvoyance, and communicating with the spirits of babies, all depending on the day. I also went on to talk about how Marin and I don't necessarily identify as pagan, like neither of us really do, but that we both, if you ask us, say that we draw from earth-based spirituality, following the moon, the sun, the seasons, and that we don't identify as Christian, but we have very dear friends and students who do identify as Christians. And we've had students from all kinds of different backgrounds in our programs. We've had Muslim students, we've had pagan students, atheist students, Buddhists, Christians. And at the end of the day, what I think really pulls us all together as a cohesive indie birth community is that we do believe that there is a place for spirit and mystery and the divine in the world of birth. And so all of this is an extension of a conversation that Marin and I are always having here at Indie Birth. How do we incorporate all of this more? How do we make it clear that we do incorporate spirituality into our work? And in the next year, we're looking at a bunch of different ways to really beef that up and increase that in our programming and in our curriculum. And I just wanted to touch on the why for a moment. Why is it that spirituality is at the core of what we do? And it's because midwifery without spirit, without mystery, is reduced to super black and white, patriarchal, mechanical thinking. And that is what has gotten us into the pickle that we are currently in. This idea that we can do research, we can come up with evidence-based protocols that then we can apply to the woman sitting in front of us. Maybe we do a little bit of customization, but at the end of the day, it's extremely black and white thinking. Evidence-based midwifery is black and white thinking, and there is not often a lot of room for people to make different choices. There is, but it's within this framework of consent. Oh, women do have, you know, autonomy and they can give informed consent or informed refusal. But that leaves out this other piece, which is that this is out of our hands. We are not gods. We are not able to understand absolutely everything about pregnancy, birth, the postpartum. We are not able to predict outcomes. And when we forget that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and instead look at our, every person in front of us as just a meat suit that we can like tweak and measure and analyze and optimize, then we start making one-size-fits-all protocols and we start to lose the spirit, right? We start to lose the spiritual experience of birth. And I think that is one of the biggest issues that we have in the birth world today is this lack of... What, how do I want to say this? Lack of attention to the emotional and spiritual experience of the process I think we've done a pretty good job in the last decade or two getting 
a lot of hospital providers on board with consent, with people refusing a lot of the interventions. Things are looking more natural. Some hospitals are even offering water births. Like a lot of the physical pieces are moving the right direction. But at the end of the day, there is still not space in the system for these other conversations about what this means on a deeper level for us as spiritual beings. And that is why I think this import- this conversation is just so important. And it's one of the things that sets us apart because there are people who are talking about physiological birth, for sure, that often leave out the sacred piece. And there are people talking about sacred birth who are leaving out the physiological, physical science piece. And we are trying to marry those things together. And it is super messy. It'd be easier to leave out one or the other, for sure, 100%. But we are here in the muck and the mess saying, no, we want it all. We want the fullness of of this to be honored. And I will leave that there. That is why it's important. The other reason that I finally started recording this was, yes, this funny email and everything that came from that, which showed me that we touched a nerve and that we should keep going with it. But I also connected with a woman from Facebook in a pagan group for the area that I just moved to. I had posted an introduction just saying, hey, this is me. Here's a little bit about me and my family. And she saw it and she's pregnant. And so she reached out and said, oh, my gosh, I had been looking for a midwife and nothing was quite feeling right. And I saw your post and it just felt, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for someone who has a similar worldview. So that was really fun. And I met up with her actually yesterday and had a long chat and talked through some of the things I'm going to share in a minute here about my own spiritual kind of unfolding in this lifetime and i thought that that was just a nice little um, nudge from the universe to in this direction of let's keep talking about this and the other thing that has happened in the last week is i went to a christmas concert and i think this is really funny and ties back into something i wanted to maybe say a few more words about which is again that i don't identify as christian but one of the responses that i got from this email was from a student of ours, actually, who identifies as Christian and said something about, oh, even though our beliefs are opposite, I really love what you guys teach. And I feel like I've learned so much. And it's led to me having some insights and revelations around my own relationship with like the Bible and what some of those verses even mean. And it's really been cool to be able to expand my own spirituality, even while learning from people who have opposite beliefs. And so I wrote to her and just said, that's all really amazing and beautiful. And I love that you shared it. But I would argue that we don't have opposite beliefs. And instead, that's just not how I see it. I see it as anyone who is approaching life in a way where they are as much as possible, right? Like recognizing that this is that all life is sacred, that this is a gift that we've been given, that there is mystery, there is something outside of our comprehension happening here on earth. Anyone who's approaching their life in that way, to me, does not have an opposite belief system. They have a very similar belief system to mine, 
we might just use different language and we might have different rules or details, you know, in our experience. But anyone who's approaching life that way, to me, is much more aligned and not opposite, right? Like much more similar than someone who is approaching life in this cut and dry, black and white, extremely secular way and birth, right? Approaching birth in that way where it's just, oh, when somebody's blood pressure goes above blank, we give them blank drug and we do this. And at 42 weeks, we do that. And that's because the evidence said this and we can reduce harm by this much. Those are the people that are operating from an opposite belief system to me. Yeah, I found myself at this Christmas concert. The The house that I bought here in the Twin Cities is within a very short walking distance of a Lutheran church, which I think is funny because, as I'll tell you in a moment, I grew up going to Lutheran church and came from a line of many Lutherans on both sides of my family. And so I saw that the church was offering a Christmas concert, and I thought that sounded like a lot of fun to bring my kids to, to experience what that was like, to learn a little bit about the Christmas story, perhaps. I, I didn't exactly know what to expect. But there definitely was Bible stuff included, and there were the songs, which, of course, were about Jesus. And <laughs> hilariously, halfway like halfway through, my daughter was doodling in the program and had drawn a menorah, which I was like, okay, we've got to do some world religion education here at home soon. And I thought that was really funny. But she loved it. And my son mostly ignored it and played Snake on my phone, which is fine. But I loved it. I loved feeling connected to the other people in this church. And this beautiful story and some of my past, since that is that is my heritage, at least in the immediate generations preceding me. And and I left and, and I definitely thought about this woman who told me that I'm practicing borderline witchcraft and just wish that I could explain somehow this eclectic approach to life where I'm absolutely open to learning lessons from sacred texts like the Bible and the story of Jesus and his birth and his life. And I'm sure people will hate, some people will hate this. I think Jesus was magic, right? And had amazing things to share that seem to come from and weave into all kinds of different um, faiths and backgrounds, including Buddhism, right? And yeah, I, I've just had this on my heart and on my mind. So that's a really long uh, intro, not really an intro, but a wandering towards this story of my life that I wanted to share, which is, again, I was born into a family that attended Lutheran church on Sundays. And I, both my parents did growing up as well. My grandparents, I believe all four of them did as well. And we went to a church that I later, which is funny, uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my first house that I ever bought was behind a church, the church that I went to growing up, actually. And when I moved back to Minnesota, the house that I bought from my brother was behind this church, Trinity Lutheran Church. And I had gone there as a kid. I'd been in the Christmas pageant there. And both my parents had been confirmed there. I'm 99% sure. My grandma had. My brothers had. I think the story is that my great-grandpa had done the plumbing in the church, and he had also gone there. I come from a Scandinavian background, and a lot of them were Lutheran. When I was around nine, 
which is the age my daughter is now, I basically told my mom I didn't want to go anymore. I said, I don't know how I said it, but it basically was like, hey, I think I'm done doing this. We had moved to a new town and it felt not as homey because we were going to a church we'd never been to before. And she was, yeah, I agree. Let's not go anymore. (laughs) That was the end of my family being Lutherans. And so I'm the first one who was not confirmed in my family, which I think is interesting and has always stuck out to me as like one of the first places in my life where I've gone off the beaten path. Around that same age, I got really interested in yoga for some reason, which is weird. I lived in South Dakota at the time. And from the library, I had picked up a bunch of yoga books and started practicing some of it at home, I think. There must have been some amount of information about it for me to even know what it was, but it's not like my mom did it. It's not like there were even yoga classes at that point in time because I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm dating myself, but 1997. And I also remember my mom having some witchy books around and I asked her, actually, I texted her today to be like, were those? But I just remember there being like some kind of Wiccan book that just piqued my interest and caught my eye. I don't remember ever reading it, but It was around, and I, from a pretty young age, especially in my teenage years, started identifying more politically with the fringe. So it wasn't so much about spirituality, but there was definitely this, like, I'm different, and I I believe different things, and I'm trying to figure out what that is and how that looks. So fast forward, and without giving my whole entire health history, I had some weird shit going on with my health from a pretty young age, too, from about 15. And in college, I got fed up and started exploring alternative medicine. I got into herbs. I started going to the co-op and I needed to stop taking birth control. That was part of the, the problem for me was it had triggered high blood pressure at 15. And instead of going off of it, I went on high blood pressure medication at 15. And so in college, I was like, this is crazy. I'm fed up with this. There's got to be a solution. I'm a young, healthy person. And so I stopped taking birth control and I started learning about fertility awareness. And I don't exactly know how. One of my doctors said, oh yeah, go check out a Catholic church. They usually have classes if they were really serious about this. And then I was also in a women's studies program in college and had a lot of like activist friends. And definitely within anarchist kind of DIY circle, the fertility awareness thing was alive, as was the learning about the connection to moon cycles, like women's bodies and how they're connected to moon cycles and some light witchy, some, some borderline witchcraft, right? So that's when I think things started changing for me politically, too. I also had a lot of really lovely indigenous friends who were activists and I was seeing how their spirituality played into their politics and how that made it all just feel a lot more meaningful and richer and I really longed to have my own culture and traditions and started thinking about what that might have looked like for my ancestors. I also was studying like I said women's studies in college and I had a few professors who talked a lot about ecofeminism and this idea that how we treat the earth is how is connected to how we treat women and that really resonated for me and really clicked and it all came together around the same time i'd say when i was like 
20 that I didn't know how to go forward with that. But it was like, oh, yes, this is what is true. How we treat the earth, how we treat women. That started feeling like the root of my spirituality. And this idea that I was connected to the earth and I didn't know how and I didn't know what to do with that necessarily. But that was more true for me than anything else had felt. And that by being connected to the earth, it didn't just mean physically. It meant like on the cellular level, it meant energetically and it meant spiritually for me. And around that same time, just those are some formative years for everyone probably, a friend of mine suggested that I read The Fifth Sacred Thing by Starhawk. And I wish I could remember more of the details. I should ask him because it was my friend Matt who suggested it to me, I believe. We were at Bookman's, which was is still, I think, my favorite used bookstore. It's so good. And I think I was there with the intention of finding this book. But when you're in a bookstore, maybe this has never happened to you, but you're like walking and you see a book and you're like, that's the book I need to get before you can even tell what it is. Like I saw a book and it like didn't fall off the shelf and bonk me in the head or anything like that cool. But it was clearly the book I was there to buy. And I went up to it and it was the book. It was Starhawk's Fifth Sacred Thing. And it is to this day still my very favorite book. I love it so much. For a while, I was reading it once a year. I have it on audio book. I should probably do it again. And this book changed it for me. Like it took it out of the abstract, which is funny because it's a fiction book. It took a lot of these ideas out of the abstract and put them into a concrete how this might look in real life context, in a fictional context. But still, I like Starhawk's other books too. But this Fifth Sacred Thing and the other ones too. There's um, a prequel and a sequel and blah, blah, blah. But the Fifth Sacred Thing is the best one. This really helped me feel like, oh yeah, this is the, it's a dystopian future. But the parts that are utopic in it, I was like, this is what I'm aiming for. This is what makes sense to me. And there's a lot of, funny enough, in this book, there's people who practice all kinds of different faiths. And all of those different faith backgrounds also appear to um, agree that there are elements of magic that are accessible to us as human beings. And so read the book if you need something to read. It's so good. And I, like I said, I like Starhawk's other books. I definitely read those. And I'm really drawn to and was drawn to and continue to be drawn to ritual, but not like the costumed, silly, pretending versions. And I think that's what kept me away from, and I hesitate to even call it witchcraft, but I will for the sake of simplicity. I think that's what kept me away from witchcraft for a long time. I was like, I'm too practical still to dress up in a thing that feels fake. And like, I had to find an authentic way to engage with ritual and ceremony that felt just like ordinary and part of my everyday life. And I'll talk more about how that looks now. But at the time that felt like, okay, how do I do this? I believe in this, but I also don't want to like draw a pentacle and sit in the forest with my friends and raise power, a cone of power. And that wasn't really vibing for me. I also kept doing a lot of yoga actually in college. I took a yoga class for credit, which I think is hilarious that you can even do. 
And that the teacher I had in that class was actually really cool and pretty esoteric and had us doing interesting types of meditation. But all of it was too boring for me. I really did enjoy Anusara yoga. I was a nanny for someone who owned a studio and I loved her meditations that were at the beginning that, again, just felt more grounded and in its yoga of the heart. So like heart-based, grounded kinds of meditation. But at the end of the day, that wasn't something that was going to work for me on a day-to-day basis. And I was interested in the idea of shamanism once I got over this idea that it was like wildly appropriative and weird. But it still felt out of reach to me like as a practice until I took some classes at the Sacred Stream School. If you have listened to that episode, I did a podcast with Isa, who runs the Sacred Stream School. She's an amazing human being. And she had reached out to me about her book, The New Return to the Great Mother, and having her on my podcast. And I did. And after that podcast, I decided I wanted to study with her. So I did a lot of classes with them. I haven't done their certification or a few of their like finishing up kind of advanced classes, but I might someday. And that made it so much more accessible and tangible. And that felt like I finally felt I finally felt like I was at home in my own like spiritual toolkit, if that makes sense. Because it's so simple. It's really just going inside, journeying to these other realms. And if you want to think about that as actually being in your own inner realms or that you're actually journeying to some realm that is outside of our bodies, I don't know that it ultimately matters what you like think is happening. <laughs> but the basic idea is you're like journeying and it's an active process, an active internal process where you're changing your brain states and you're accessing wisdom information connecting with other energies and coming back with some amazing wisdom that you can then apply directly to your life that's like probably not the best explanation of what shamanism is if you don't know anything at all i pardon me for that i didn't prepare like a very great explanation (laughs) but after taking her classes that felt like the new core for me of what my spiritual life looked like and how it made sense to me. And I guess I want to talk about that. How does this look for me now after traversing this trail of things from leaving the Lutheran church to uh, where I am now? And for me, it looks like I have a little altar in my room. I have a book called Earth Prayers that is a collection of really beautiful prayers and poems and short writings from thinkers all over the world and throughout time. And it's really, they all come back to the central theme of being connected to the earth. I do burn a variety of plants as part of my daily or mostly daily spiritual activity to cleanse my space to bring me more into the room and to ground me i like to burn sage and i do like to burn sweet grass i'm not going to get into a whole conversation about all the cultural pieces there but i feel good about my choices with what i use 
and source them appropriately. I also do a lot of burning candles. That feels like an important thing for me, either to open a space. Sometimes I do this even with clients. Like at the start of meetings, I'll light a candle and I'll blow it out at the end to just signify the start and end of something. I do burn a lot of like ritual candles that I have sat and infused my intentions into. And burning the candle helps me focus my energy and attention and intention towards what it is that I am trying to create or shift or manifest. I do. I, so this was one of the best suggestions I got from a spiritual counselor friend of mine who's a witch. I talked to her about this feeling of I wanted something more practical. This was maybe a year and a half ago. And so she gave me this assignment that every day she wanted me to do uh, a quick grounding meditation, light a candle, put out some water for my ancestors, and say a short prayer. And she didn't care what it was, but just doing something for three minutes once a day to anchor in and to make this a part of my daily life. Because I kept saying, I want something that I can do daily that doesn't feel like too much with little kids around, but that feels meaningful and it's going to build my spiritual health, right? In the end, that's what we're aiming at here. That's what I'm aiming at. So I do that most days. I would not say I'm the best at doing it every day. But I do put out water in the dish for my ancestors. Sometimes I leave food out for them as well and have ongoing conversations going on with them often. I'm happy to say more about that too. I read a great book called Take Back the Magic. Is that what it's called? Take Back the Magic by Perdita Flynn, I think. If that's something you're interested in exploring, this idea of communicating with your ancestors and the dead. A fantastic book. I'll probably say more about it. Maybe I'll do a whole review of it sometime soon. I also do definitely do sporadic journeying, shamanic journeying. Usually it's more like when I have something going on that I feel like I need some insight into. It's like the big guns, so to speak. It's not something I do daily, but it is something that I've also taught to my older kid. And I just can't say enough about the benefits of it and how empowering it is and how life-changing it can be. And that's something that I am continuing to explore how I want to work it into my work with pregnant women. The way I was taught was to do the journey on behalf of the person you're working with. And while I totally respect that that is a pretty traditional approach to it and a really effective and great thing to do, it doesn't absolutely sit right with me from the perspective of empowering clients. And so I think what I'm going to be doing going forward is um, actually teaching the skills to them and working with them through like their beginning journeys and helping them understand how to do it, what they're doing how to interpret things as opposed to me doing it for them which again is how I was taught to do it in like my applied shamanism classes I also use tarot cards and I wrote here in my notes I also go to twerking class which maybe doesn't sound like a spiritual thing but for me it absolutely is it feels the most incredible way to move energy through the body and to get out of 
the mind and be in the body. And also, like I said, just move a lot of stagnant energy. I also do something called dream weaving with other women. And I won't say a whole lot more about that because it's kind of secret. But we share our dreams together, support each other in manifesting them, clarifying them, and engaging with them on a daily basis. So that's a little bit about where I'm at now and what it looks like for me. I know I'm always so curious to know what does this actually look like in real life for other people? What's the not Instagram version of all of this? So I hope that's interesting and perhaps validating if you also have a messy, eclectic approach to all of this. And if you're someone who is exploring it all for yourself and trying to figure out, you know, how to start, I'm certainly no guru here, but I guess my words of wisdom would just be to take baby steps and add on little pieces, see what feels right, see what doesn't feel right. And also find people that you can talk to about these things so that you don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel and make things up totally by yourself. I have so many really lovely friends and women that I talk to about all of this who inspire me. Like I said, I've also had really great spiritual advisors who can help me sort some of these things out. And there's so much to explore. And to me, Going back to like how this applies to my work here at Indie Birth, I think I think at the end of the day, what I want for our students, whether they're learning to be a doula or a midwife or something in between or something else, because <laughs> that's a whole another thing, like the language we're using and how that's shifting. But for people who are wanting to get into birth and work with women during this really sacred time, I think it's really important that you do, wherever you're at, that you do engage your own spiritual health and that you under, you start trying to understand what it looks like for you so that you can, but you don't need to try to make people copy you, but setting an example for pregnant women that you work with, I think is important. That I think is the end of my thoughts for today. And with that, we're complete. I will blow my candle out and talk to you soon if you enjoyed what you heard please hit the subscribe button and give this podcast a five-star review for more enriching content and conversation around the primal physiological process that is pregnancy birth and beyond please head over to indiebirth.org Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.